Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. So here we are at part four of our wisdom series. So, so far, just as a bit of a summary, uh, on week one, Rob covered the uh, wisdom of the king. We don't have the wisdom to do life alone. Week two, we heard from Natasha looking at the wisdom of the wise. Living in the fear of the Lord helps us to get us, helps us to get the best out of life. Do I believe that God is actually wiser than me, she said. Week three last week was Judith looking at the wisdom of the realist, learning how to live well without knowing all the answers. If we get, we get stuck, if we only look under the sun, we need to look above it. So today we come to the wisdom of the wounded. And despite our suffering, keeping our eyes on the wise God and our ultimate hope in him. When I was asked to speak, I wondered how I could speak on a subject that I thought I knew so little of. And can I just say that I'm mindful of the fact that for some this is a very difficult subject and my prayer is that with our few minutes together, we will all feel better equipped even if we haven't got all of the answers. When I looked up the word suffering, um, I came up with this. Uh, so f- suffering can be physical, it can be mental, it can mean pain or agony, distress, torture and even misery. So what we're going to do this morning is look at or start with the book of Job. In the beginning of the book, uh, the Bible describes Job like this. It says this, in the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen and 500 donkeys, and he had a large number of servants. The Bible says that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. Now, we haven't got to go far into the book of Job before things really change. We learn that through a series of disasters, firstly, he loses all of his possessions and the best part of his workforce as well. Next, we read that his children, whilst they were all together, were killed in an accident. And then, in case that wasn't enough, in chapter 2, we understand that he was afflicted even with a painful illness. Now, we don't know the timescale of all this during the season of his life, but Job knew poverty, bereavement and sickness. He knew mental as well as physical suffering. At the end of chapter three, he describes his um, feelings in this way. He said he had no peace, no quietness, no rest, only turmoil. He had mental anguish, in other words. So as we go through the book of Job, and it's quite a, a long book, we find all sorts of things going on. And firstly, his friends turn up and they give him an example of comfort. They come together, leaving their own priorities in order to be with him. They sympathise and they comfort him. 
they take his pain on as their own uh, as well. In chapter three, Job is very real about his pain. He doesn't hide it or he doesn't see it as nothing, but he expresses his anguish. God is able to handle our hurting. It's important that to be honest with God and keep our conversation with him real. Uh, in Job's, Job chapters four and five, his friends remind him of, of who God is and his ways, quite similar to the language in Proverbs. And they start to suggest that it is God correcting Job's sin, but they also give him encouragement for the future. Chapter six onwards, Job analyzes his life, but he doesn't know of any sin that he's committed. But the story tells us that he was righteous and that he was not the reason and that sin was not the reason for his suffering. However, although irrelevant to Job, it is a worthy question to ask ourselves. We know from Proverbs that foolishness can bring disaster. So it's worth checking that we, if we're suffering, are living in God's ways. Friends, if your suffering is a result of knowingly, willfully doing something that is wrong, albeit stealing or unwilling to forgive or committing adultery or whatever, friends, you need to repent and turn away before you will know God's healing. The story of Job continues going backwards and forwards of his friends reminding him of God's character but coming to the conclusion that if God is almighty and perfect, just then the only explanation from their limited point of view is that Job must have done something wrong and needs correcting. In his case, of course, this was not true. Job does at times acknowledge God for who he is, but he does do a lot of, spend a lot of time focusing on himself, being very concerned, justifying himself before God and essentially saying, it's not fair, God, you are not wise. There's a moment in chapter nine where Job takes his gaze away from his circumstances and himself to above them. And in Job 19 verses 25 to 27, we read this. He makes this declaration, I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. A bit later on in the book, he says this, would he, referring to God, use his great power to argue with me? No, he would always give me a fair hearing. But he knows where I am going, again speaking of God, and when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. The ability to set our eyes on God's eternal plan and Jesus, not only seeing our current circumstances, our wisdom for the hurting. So that's Job's story. And there may be some aspects of Job's story that you feel that you can relate to as well. 
So what good decisions can we make if we are suffering? Well, let me start with saying that we firstly need to have the right perspective. The Apostle Paul said this, <clears throat> we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And then a bit later on in the chapter in 2 Corinthians, he says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Have you ever thought of the life of Joseph? <clears throat> you know, that guy with the Technicolor dream coat. Despised by his brothers, not perhaps without reason, sold into slavery, falsely accused and then sent to prison, let down by a friend while he was in there, and then finally released and then to become the second most powerful man in the whole of Egypt. Have you ever stopped to consider that he suffered from separation from his family? He suffered injustice for something that he absolutely didn't do. Yet he was able to say to his brothers who had kidnapped him at the very beginning, that which you meant for evil, God meant it for good. And that what Joseph had been through enabled possibly millions of people to be fed later on. Romans 8 verse 18 says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. <clears throat> a number of years ago, my 19-year-old German cousin sadly died during an operation to just correct the alignment of one of his eyes. They discovered during the operation that he was allergic to a general anaesthetic, something that was fairly new at the time that that happened, or very little was known about anyway. Since a, young name, uh, since a young name, since a young age, my cousin had expressed a desire to become a doctor and wanted to work in poor countries. As you can imagine, bringing comfort, particularly to his mother in a situation like that, was very difficult. At the funeral, the pastor wisely spoke these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. A good response is always, Lord, I don't understand you but I trust you. So another wise decision, if we're going through suffering, is to understand that trusting that there is a purpose. So we've looked at perspective, now we're looking at purpose. And let me say that this may not be obvious at the time and may never be so until we get to heaven. In the words of Job, 
He knows the path that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come out as pure gold. Maybe some words that Mark Brooks Smith uh, sent to me this week will help us as well. He wrote this. The topic of wisdom and suffering, I guess, would take us to Job. He was right. The overarching lesson that being God does not, being that God does not need to explain himself to us. Poor old Job had no idea why he'd been allowed to suffer so much. But in acknowledging that God is good all the time, we realise that our suffering has a purpose, even though we do not know what it is at that time. The Apostle James wrote these words, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Ask for wisdom, wisdom in suffering. For me, one of the most challenging verses in the Bible is, is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where it says this, that for we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Notice there that it says in all things, not some things, all things. And that verse comes in the context of, just a little bit later in the, in the chapter, where it says this. Paul said, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. As Jackie said earlier on, God's got your back. Always remember that. You know, we can read these things and it's nice to know them in our head. But, you know, we can only know the experience and the assurance that comes when we choose to say, Lord, I trust you, even though, even if I don't really understand you. Let me tell you the story of a man who wrote a hymn that was first printed in 1876. And this man's name was Horatio Spafford. I won't try and spell that, and you've probably never heard. It's not a name I've heard anybody being called these days. But this guy's got a great story, and I want to share that with you this morning. He wrote the hymn that some of our older members may remember, and it's called It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, Hillsong Church recorded a version of this hymn that he wrote in 2011. The hymn was written after some traumatic events in Spafford's life. 
The first two were the death of his four-year-old son in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, which ruined him financially as well because he'd been a successful lawyer and had invested significantly in property in the area of Chicago that was extensively damaged by the fire. His business interests were further hit by the economic downturn uh, at which time he'd planned to travel to England with his family on the SS Ville du Havre to help with D.L. Moody's upcoming evangelistic campaigns. In a late change of plan, he sent the family ahead while he was delayed on business concerning the, the fire that had happened. While crossing the Atlantic Ocean, the ship sank rapidly after a collision with another sea vessel and all four of Spafford's daughters died. His wife Anna survived and sent him the now famous telegram that said, saved alone. Shortly afterwards, Spafford, as Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, he was inspired to write these words as his ship passed near to where his daughters had died. I'm just going to read one, uh, the first verse and chorus of the, the hymn that he wrote. Um, and it says this, and, and imagine the context in which he's, he's writing this now. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well. It is well with my soul. And the chorus goes, It is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. You see, the third good decision we can make is to worship. And in a moment, the band are going to lead us in doing just that. The events of the last 18 months have compounded the suffering of many from anxiety and even depression. Was that what Job described when he said he had no rest, no peace, he only had turmoil? Many of the world's events have, are causing people to be anxious global warming and all the implications of that and how that things are continually changing at a fast pace. And for many that's becoming something that bogs them down in their lives, restricts them from living life to the full. And I want to encourage you to, if you find yourself in that position today, Firstly, to say, God, give me some perspective. Secondly, Lord, to trust in your purpose. And thirdly, Lord, that I would worship you because you are the God who's got my back. If you are able, would you please stand with me to pray now? Lord, we need you today. And would you come and help us to worship you now? 
we choose to trust you and to surrender our lives to you again. In Jesus' name, Amen. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.